Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Chuck Toki, a keynote speaker, a sales success coach, and author. He's led, coached, and trained large teams of top sales professionals in the exterior home improvement space, which includes roofing, siding, windows, and masonry. Chuck, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you've been in sales a long time. To start off, tell me what the craziest or funniest thing you've ever experienced in sales. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> there are so many. Uh-huh. What stands out? Well, what stands out when you look at, when you look at crazy or funny, <laughs> I would have to say that many different aspects of roofing can be uh, rather humorous, from finding bullets in people's roofs <laughs> to talking with customers that they just don't understand roofing. But probably the funniest thing would be the uh, bringing the roof down to them and half the roof was not completed by the last contractor. Oh, no. This happened about two and a half years ago and got up there and they says, for whatever reason, we have all this leaking. We want someone to check it out. And I had a client with me. So they climbed up on the roof and we found something we've never seen before where they finished the roof where you can see it. And then anywhere you can't see the roof, it was just bare wood. I mean, it was rotted out. It was really, really nasty. Mm-hmm. So to bring that down to them, bring that reality down to the homeowner was very, very tough to do. Wow. <laughs> so you've been involved in sales a long time. Now, did sales come easy for you or did you have to deal with a lot of adversity sort of early on and in your career? So sales did not come easy for me. I'm actually an aerospace engineer. So Mm -hmm. if you can imagine an engineer coming into sales, it usually just doesn't work. And so me coming from the aerospace engineering field, I was very precise, very analytical, and nobody likes to hear that. (laughs) So it didn't come easy for me. I was really bad at it when when I first started. And it was mentors, coaches, and other sales professionals that really helped me to understand what sales is and how, how, it, how it works. What were the uh, gaps in your knowledge from being someone so technical and in moving into sort of a sales side? Mostly the emotional as- aspect of it. I thought that people disseminate the information and then they make their, their buying decision based on logic. And that's just not the case. Doesn't mean that logic doesn't have a piece of it, but the emotional aspect, and I'm not telling you anything that 10,000 other gurus won't tell you, (laughs) but the emotional aspect of it is key. But when I really got good at sales, and when I went from 40% closing to 70% closing to 75% closing, myself was understanding perception, not Mm -hmm. my perception, but the customer's perception. So if if I get there and the customer wants to tell me that the sky is, is green, for the next 40 minutes, like next two hours, however long it takes, that sky's going to be green because that's their perception of it. Mm. 
So how do you, do you work with the perception? Do you try to change the perception? How do you approach that? You work with the perception. You can't, you can never change somebody's perception of how things work. Mm -hmm. And well, I can't say never. You can't, you can never say never, I guess. But (laughs) you, if you're going to, and in my type of sales, which is very fast paced sales, you don't have that kind of time. So when, when you're getting out of your car, you have to manage the perception. You have to help them understand whether it's, if it's inside the roofing industry or the, the bath industry, you have to help them understand the perception of the industry on how the industry works. You have to manage their perception on your company and how your product works. So you're managing the perception, not changing it. But again, their perception is everything. If they, people ask me why I take a video on the roof. And when I take a video on the roof, it is a video that is a very high quality. I'm not going to show it on my phone. I'm going to show it on my iPad. But do I need to do that to sell the roof? And many people say, well, no. And the answer is no. But I'm going to take that perception of nobody else is going to show up to their house and do a video the way that I'm going to do it mm-hmm. or the way that I teach my salespeople how to do it. And so every time we do this, the, the customer generally comes to us and says, no one's ever done that for me before. And that is their perception that we are now the highest quality roofing company in town because we do stuff that nobody else does. Interesting. So when you say recording, so just recording the, the condition of the roof and then sort of doing a rundown with the client, is that the experience? Yeah. So when I get up on the roof, I'll do my inspection. Then I will get down close on the, the roof, whether I'm going to get on my ladder, if I'm going to start at the eve. But I let them know that, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, this is your inspection video. And then I'll start at the eve. I'll let them know that if you look inside your gutter, you can see half the life sitting inside your gutter. I'm going to lift up your shingles and show you that you do not have drip edge, which is why your fascia is being rotted out. Not only do you not have drip edge, but when the last roof was put on, ice and weather was not code. And now that ice and weather is code, you'll see why it's code, because you're getting all the ice dams that you told me about before. Then you get up on the roof, you're going to tell them about the shingle, the, the condition of the shingle. But not only do I tell them what's wrong with the roof, but I'm going to tell them what's right. I may get to the, the valley. He said, whoever put this roof on last did a very, very good job with the closed valley. And when they did the closed valley, they made sure that the cut was on the water side and that, that the continuous run was on the non-water side. So we do, whether it's right or wrong, we give them a total inspection of everything that's on their roof. We go right down to the B vents and the pipe jacks and everything so that they get that experience that we're trying to provide to them. Mm. So it sounds like you're a big advocate of systemization, this, this whole process. Yes. So how do you approach that? I mean, do you, I guess, do you come up with the base system and you start to tweak it and improve it? What, how, do you, how do you approach that for someone that doesn't really do that and are, are a bit more off the cuff? So most companies will have, they'll, they'll have me out whether we start inside of their conference room or work with their salespeople. Sometimes it's the owner. The owner is the salesperson. Mm-hmm. And we start there. We find out where all their gaps are. We find out that they're negotiating with homeowners in the driveway or, or on the hood of their truck. We, we close these gaps to help them understand where checks are written, why we get them into the house, why we do an, a complete inspection. Why, if it's a uh, all-inclusive type construction company, why I like to do a walk around the house. 
they, when I tell them about it, they, they get a little confused on why I would walk a homeowner around the house if I know, already know that it's the roof that they want. Well, if you sell siding and gutters and windows, if I ask them inside, so how does your, how is your uh, siding look? How do your windows look? They can't, if I'm walking around the house and the gutters are hanging off the back of the house, the guy can't say, oh no, my gutters are fine. But if I'm in the house, they can't. So I want them to see all the stuff that's wrong with their house so that we can get everything into a bundle. And if I do the bundle, either they'll go ahead and say, yeah, we want it all done, which I will tell you is very rare. But what's nice is I'm starting with a very high price, which I like to call price conditioning. And I say, luckily for you, we can just do the roof right now. We can do siding later. And the roof is only 11000 15000 whatever. So they're more apt to do that. Mm. So you, you basically start with the owner. You, you walk through some of the strategies, right? Some are related to roofing. Maybe there's another industry, but you, you get down on paper. Is that the first step? Just on some of the ideas and then you start to refine it? Right. So we find out what their current strategy is and then we refine it from there. What I don't do is what a lot of the other gurus have done in the past and shove their systems right down this door. Like, this is what you have to do. And here it is. And we'll see you later. That's typically what these folks do. Now, we have online training as well. But here's the issue with video and online training. And they're also coming out with this interactive training, which it's great for new hires. But people that have been with your company mm -hmm. for more than a couple of years will never watch these. But you're going to get them to watch it is to push play in the middle of a uh, sales meeting. And we do the same thing. We, we have a lot of videos and a lot of people rave about our training. But, and even the training that we will customize for a lot of our, our organizations. But we do let them know and we, we're very upfront where this works the best, which is when you're onboarding somebody, it makes training a lot easier, but you can't make it the babysitter. You can't sit your new kid in front of the screen and hope that they learn. <laughs> they learn from it, and then you have to inspect what you expect is what they say. So you bring them back in, and you role play with them. You still have to train them, but yet you don't have a trainer that is totally exhausted at the end of the week that he's just, he's spent, he needs almost a week vacation. I've done this many, many times as a, as a manager and as a trainer, where at the end of the week, I mean, I need a week's vacation just because it was so intense to try and train somebody new. Well, now that you have the online training, it makes it a lot easier. But what I'm trying to get at there is having the online training is great, but you really, you have to customize a system for each company, just because each company is different. Mm -hmm. You might go do an upstand or upfront contract with one company because that's how they learn the best or how they sell the best. Or maybe I'm going to do the value of the visit from Yoho with another company. It just depends on their model. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, with this system, do you, do you mandate it with everyone? Like everyone does it the same way? Or if someone's getting the result then leave them alone kind of methodology or how do you approach that? So I, you have to have everybody doing it exactly the same way. Now there's a caveat to this. If you have somebody out there and I like to call these, these natural salespeople, these guys mm -hmm. or gals are just good at talking. They, I like to call them professional talkers. <laughs> they can talk their way in and out of just about anything. And these are just natural salespeople. And so when they are not 
doing your system exactly, you do have to isolate them from the rest of the group. Because if you're, they're your top salesperson and they're not using the system, it can really hurt the training. But yet, if you take them and you make them do the system exactly the way that you want them to do it, their productivity may go down. Mm-hmm. So you really have to tailor them. You have to help them understand like, hey, Gene, I, I know you're doing really, really well. You're probably one of our top sales reps. And we're going to go through this training. And what I need from you is I want you to go through the training as well. But I understand you sell differently. But the fact that you're selling at 70%, I want you to continue to do whatever it is you're doing. But anybody that is less than that, I'm going to have a different conversation with. Mm, yeah. I will. We do this a, a matrix, a, a sales employee matrix, where if they are, have a lot of skill and they have a great attitude, they're your rock star. If they have a, just a little bit of skill, but they have a great attitude, you train them. But yeah. if they have very little skill, very little, you I mean a really bad attitude, it's time to fire them. But yeah. the issue lies when someone has a lot of skill, they're your top sales rep, and they have a really crappy attitude. What yeah. people see on that is, well, man, if, if Billy, he's selling so much and he's not doing anything that Chuck says, we're going to do what Billy says to do. And before you know, you have a bunch of guys or gals that are kind of wandering astray. So you don't, we used to, back in the day, we used to call it toxic. Get rid of them as quick as possible. But now they're selling. So isolate them. If you've ever been voted off the island, if you will, that person will come around pretty quick. If you tell them, look, we don't want you to come to our sales meetings anymore. I understand you're selling, but your attitude or the lack of, determination inside of the training that we're, we're giving right now. It's really a detractor. And we're going to go ahead and kind of separate you from the rest of the group. We'll keep sending you leads. And what will happen, and I have not seen it not happen this way, is they're going to see that they got voted off the island mm-hmm. and they're going to change their way of thinking. Mm-hmm. They're still going to sell the way they're going to sell. But they're, if you've ever heard the, the term, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, they're going to be very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so you touched on uh, just now, just leads, right? Bringing in consistently high quality leads into that machine uh, that uh, you've developed is important. Now, if the marketing efforts are bringing low quality leads, what's usually the problem? So when you're looking at the lead itself, is it low quality? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, low quality or, yeah, low quality leads coming into the system. Because okay. I think you look at both sides of the machine, right? The sales organization and the, yeah. the lead generation system. Like if, if there's lots of sort of low quality leads coming in, what's wrong with the machine usually in your experience? So I look at leads in two different ways. Okay. I like the, you have hot leads, which are people, maybe they're referred to you, friends, family, whatever. Then there's warm leads, which are television. These are people that saw your advertising. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not advertising in, in the ghetto, Yep. You should have really good, warm leads. Now, then there are the colder leads, and those are your internet leads. They're your, your pay-per-click, your mm-hmm. home advisor, modernize, yep. Angie's List, Thumbtack, those types of leads. And those leads can be tougher. They just need to be, you have to train your people to run those leads differently. I like to tell people that we don't, we don't hard close. 
unless it's a an internet lead. Not that we're doing hard closing, but it's a harder close. I mean, we you have to stay in the house longer. You have to be a little bit more deliberate. These people have literally crawled out from under a rock. They don't know who you are. So you have a lot more work to do. Those people that have seen you, maybe they're down the street, they saw you on the television. You have a little more clout with them and you don't have to sell them quite as hard. Okay. So I, I hate to say there's any bad lead. <laughs> when I first got into sales, my, my uh, sales manager, when I asked him, I said, how do you know if it's a good lead? He went up, shook my hand, and he, he put his two fingers on the back of my wrist to feel my pulse. He says, if I feel a pulse, it's a good lead. And, <laughs> you know, really, that's true. You know, that's, if they have a, if they're a homeowner, they live a certain you know, distance from you, and they have a need that you can fill, that's a good lead. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you have to work a little bit harder because they're just, looking around, they're just thinking about getting it done, you have to work a little bit harder. Now, so so this lead comes in, do you have any hard fast rules on like response time? Like it comes in, how quickly do you need to get someone on them or like optimally? So that's called speed to lead Yeah, in our industry. And speed to lead, so if it's a, any lead that comes in, I mean, you have a very short window. For, for one, a person calling in should never get a answering machine. Mm-hmm. Never get an answering machine. Because that could be an easy, laid-down customer. They got your answering machines. They're not going to leave a message. Yeah. Even when people say, oh, yeah, people leave messages all the time. What about the ones that don't? Yeah. They're just wanting someone to help them. And they've left other people messages, never got a call back. So they're going to call you. They get your voicemail and they're not going to leave a message because they're not going to call them back anyway, they feel. Mm -hmm. So they should never get an answering machine. The other thing is, is don't ever have somebody get to your phone and there's an automated message. If you want to set an appointment, click one. That should never happen. Mm -hmm. These are gold. Anytime that phone rings, that is money at the other end of the line. So you should be hiring people to make sure that your customers get that experience that you're going to give them in the house. Mm-hmm. So the other piece of this, when you're talking speed to lead, the most important part of speed to lead are your internet leads. Mm-hmm. So like we use a company called Five9. I did some speaking for some of the internet companies like Home Advisor and, and Modernize. And I know people don't like those. I actually enjoy them just because we understand how to work them. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is when that lead comes in, it first gets, it's automated. So it comes in, it gets entered into uh, market sharp immediately. And then the phone is dialed immediately. So we're calling within 30 seconds of the customer hitting submit. When we get that and we get them on the phone, because it's catching them off guard. It's doing two things. For one, I'm getting into them before anybody else, but I'm also catching them off guard. So they're hitting submit and all of a sudden their phone rings and they're more apt to pick it up. When they pick it up, our people are instructed to keep them on the phone for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because everybody knows that in five minutes, that lead is obsolete. Mm -hmm. So any internet lead that comes in is obsolete in five minutes from the time you get it. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to keep them on the phone for 10 minutes. The phone, you can hear it click in and out. 
which means other people are calling in. We let them know that I'm sure that you're getting some phone calls right now. What that is, is that's Home Advisor, most likely Home Advisor calling you to make sure that you're taken care of. We're going to call Home Advisor after this, make sure that they understand that you are being taken care of by us and that we have a, a, an appointment with you. By the way, when is a good time that we can come out? And so we're moving through that very, very quickly. And so at that point, all these people are, are hanging up on the other end of the phone and we've got the appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a strategy to work these, these types of leads. And the people with the better strategy always gets the, the appointment and typically get the sale. I guess, you know, these sort of rules will still apply to commercial, right? I guess getting back to people quickly is, is not a bad thing. Yeah. You understand that people want to be helped, especially right now in the world of immediate. We like to call this well, the world of immediate means they, on the tip of their fingers, they can get a hold of somebody that's going to help them out. And they're going to spend their money with, but they got to get a hold of them right now. Yeah. And so if you have some people that are lazy, they're going to pay for that lead. They're just not going to get anything out of it. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So leads. Yeah. You, you talked some very good stuff that you mentioned market sharp. What, what, what is that? Is this just a tool? Market sharp is a CRM that we use. There's many of them. There's yeah. job Nimbus, job progress. There's many of them out there. AccuLinks for roofing. But we use market sharp. Market sharp is probably one of the bigger, less expensive. When I say less expensive, anybody that's gotten into Salesforce understand what expensive is, but market sharp is probably the most vast and, and easier to use systems that we have used. Okay. Very cool. All right. So the leads are coming in, they're being worked on the system. And then I guess with your team, you're, you're trying to forecast this activity. How do you approach that? So when you're forecasting, you, if you've been in business for more than six or seven years, then you have a good understanding of how the year's going to go. And the way that you do this, you take your last four years, you total up each month. And then where you've totaled up each month, you add that up at the bottom. So let's say that you total up every month and at the bottom, there's $15 $15 million. That's the last four, the total of the last four years. Mm -hmm. So you take each month and you get the percentage of that number by the total number, and you go on down January, February, March, you go on the way down. And what you'll find is now you have your bell curve. This is your forecasting for say 2020. When anybody comes in and gets coaches, the first thing that we do is we ask for your last four years. Now, many people don't have that. So what we do is because we have so many clients, or we've had so many clients in the past that Typically, we know the bell curve in your area mm-hmm. and we'll start there. So let's say that you've been in business for two years. We'll use that bell curve until we've worked with you so long that you have a good four-year average so that we can figure out how much you're going to sell this year, a good educated guess on what you're going to sell this year and how many leads you need, how many appointments you need from those leads and how many sales you're going to get from those. Actually, we work backwards. We'll find out that your goal this next year is $10 million. So then we're going to say, what is your average sale? They're going to tell me probably in the realm of about $10,000. So we take that number of sales, we take that divided by the 10,000, gives me the number of sales that they're going to need. 
And then I'm going to look at their prior history and find out maybe their average closing ratio might be 50%. So I'm going to take the number of sales and I'm going to double them. Or if it's 40%, then we'll, we'll work the math to get the number of appointments that they're going to need. And then what is their conversion ratio from lead to appointment? And we'll use that to get the number of leads they're going to need. So, and if they do events, then we also find out how many show days they need. We don't look at so much how many shows you're going to need outside events like home shows and fairs, festivals, that kind of stuff. We look at the show days itself, how many show days you're going to need because mm. we, we understand how many leads per show you're going to get or show day. Mm. Yeah, you track all that and you so, sort of bench it, I guess. So that helps you with how many leads do I need, how many appointments. It really lays out your entire year. But it also helps with when do I need to hire? June's my big month. I'm going to find out that it takes me a, a month to train somebody. So that brings me into beginning of, let's say, May. And so it's going to take me another month to find that person. So I'm at the beginning of April. Most people are like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. They're trying to find them at the middle of May, trying to get them to start at the beginning of June. And they don't, and they, before you know it, they miss their big month. And because they, their guy's still in training or they prematurely get him out of training and he wastes 20, 30 leads because he's just not ready yet. How long does that training process take or how long do you usually give? So I like to say that to train a sales rep properly, it takes about a month. I mean, you're going to have a week where you want to train them on the production. Now, this is sales. So you're going to train them on production so that they understand what you do and how you do it. Yeah. You're also going to, in that week, go over the product system with them, all of your products, the ins and the outs of the product, so mm -hmm. that the next week, which is their sales week, this is their sales training week, that you're not training or your sales trainer's not training them on what the company does. They're training them on how to sell that product. And it's a lot easier to train them on how to sell it if they understand the product. And then once that week is up, then they start going into ride-alongs and they also do a lot of shadowing with the phone room. I want them to know what's being said to a customer before they ever get to a house. When a customer says, well, your lady on the phone told me this, this, and this. And he's like, no, I know they didn't because that's not part of their script. So that's something that they're going to need to do as well. But those ride-alongs are very important. Then we do what we call a, a verification ride which is not done by a manager. I know that this is not a popular thing for me to say, but the very first time that that new sales rep hits the road, you need to put another rep with him or her. Just because if I were to ride with him, he is so scared that nothing is going to go right in that meeting. I can promise you that. Mm. So you put another rep with them and they should be able to calm down enough that they do what they are trained to do. Now, after that ride, yes, I want the manager on that, that call with them. But that very first one, the manager should not be riding with that rep. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now you're hiring these people. And like, how do you approach commission and compensation for your sales team? What's, what's kind of, what's going through your head as you're thinking through that strategy? Oh, I, uh, as far as commission and pay, I could, I could do a whole podcast with you <laughs> just commission and pay. In a perfect world, you have 100% commission. You pay based on 
I'm going to use the word par, but many people have a negative connotation with the word. But what I mean is by par is if a sales rep decides that they're going to discount, I am going to take money back. Now, I do not want to entice a sales rep to charge a customer more. Mm -hmm. To me, that's price gouging and it's unethical. If you charge a customer more than what your standard pricing is or retail pricing is, then that is extremely unethical. And there are, depending on what state you're in, there are laws against that. But as far as taking money back from a sales rep because he decides he wants to be weak and give in to a customer and, and make, let's say, let's make a deal is something that does need to happen. If it doesn't happen, then everybody's going to take the easy road and start discounting in the house. But getting back to commissions, generally, no matter what you do, you generally will be paying anywhere from 8 to 9% commission. So I've got a company out of Chicago, and they pay a base pay of $400, and then they have another add-on. They have another commission based on their NSLI or net sale per lead issued. So then you can make, again, when it's all averaged in, they make about 8 to 9%. So that is a very good way to pay, but you have to fire uh, sales reps a lot quicker than if they were commission-based you're paying them $400 a week. Mm-hmm. So, but what's nice with paying somebody $400 a week is hiring is a lot easier. When people find out that they're going to get a base pay, they're willing to listen to you longer than if you tell them that this is 100% commission. When they hear 100% commission, their mind goes straight to being a realtor, which <laughs> is not easy at all. <laughs> you have to go out and find your own people. You're cooking your own kill, as they say. And a lot of folks just don't like to hear that. It's something where they're like, okay, by the time I get my pipeline ready, I'm going to be broke anyway. I'm going to be so far behind, I'll never see the, the light of day. And so it's just, it sounds negative. So when you give somebody a base, it does make it easier to hire people. But a lot of my clients still do pay on a commission only. And again, I would let them know that par, meaning if they sold at retail, that they would get 10%. Now, if they have to play, let's make a deal and they have to call in. I never, ever let a sales rep discount in the house without calling a sales or calling a manager. Mm -hmm. To me, if I was the homeowner, I'd get mad because if you don't have to make a phone call, that means that you would have actually sold me a product for more than what I really had to pay. Mm-hmm. And that makes me upset. So I will make a phone call to the manager or I'll make them make a phone call to the manager so that it has that tendency of feeling like, okay, he really had to dig deep to give me what I wanted, the pricing that I wanted. But yeah. when they do that, you do have to discount not only the product, you have to discount their pay. Yeah. Okay, so you have this team that you built and how, how regularly do you guys have sales meetings? Sales meetings should be done weekly. Yep. I've had some that will have big general meetings once a month. So if you have maybe five or six locations, you have one meeting that is all hands on deck. Maybe that's, I would always make that the first week of the month. And then weekly, they should have them inside of their locations. 
but you should never go more than a week without having a sales meeting. Yeah. And what are the components of a great sales meeting? First of all, it cannot be on a Friday. <laughs> I notice this so often. And I'm like, when is your sales meeting? I say Friday. I'm like, why on earth would you have a sales meeting on a Friday? You're going to get them all pumped and jazzed to go into the weekend. <laughs> you want to have that. I don't like Monday sales meetings. Only reason why is the old adage, cases on Mondays. They're going to come in. They're going to be mopey. Tuesday is the best day for me mm. that I have, have seen. Tuesday is the best day to have a sales meeting. Now, inside of your sales meetings, it has to be all positive. If you're mad at somebody or somebody says something stupid in the meeting, bring them in to behind closed doors after the meeting, unless it gets escalated in some way. But it has to be positive, has to be motivational. The number one thing a leader or a sales manager can do with their salespeople is motivate them, help them understand whether it's the money, when I'm going to give somebody a bonus, I'm not just going to throw it on their paycheck. I'm coming to the sales meeting with money and I'm going to count it out right there in hundreds. I mean, I don't care if it's, if I'm going to give them a hundred dollars, I'm going to bring a hundred ones <laughs> because you're going to count it out. It's right there in front of everybody. Everybody gets motivated and they're not even the one getting the money. <laughs> if somebody's going to $500 because of something they did last month, I'm bringing five $100 bills and I'm going to have everybody like, all right, guys, let's all count it out. And everybody wants two, three, and people just get motivated. Even if it's not theirs, if it's, I like to start out with a motivational video and I've had people tell me, I've had sales reps tell me, oh, here comes someone, another one of Chuck's motivational videos. And I get them off of YouTube. They're all over. There's thousands of them. Yeah. And, but after the meeting, they're all asking me for the link because they want to take it home to their kids. I'm like, ah, oh, you made fun of me before. Now all of a sudden you want that. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that was so cool. But it motivates them. It helps them to get energized because when they first got there, they're like, great, another sales meeting. But you have to change that before you get into your training piece of the meeting. And inside of every meeting, there has to be a training piece. Inside of a lot of my companies, I'm going to have them put a kitchen table inside of their, the room. Yeah. If they can't do that, then one of those round card tables, and then they can put it away. And then when time for the sales meeting, we'll bring it back out. We'll put a nice tablecloth over it. Yeah. So it looks like a nice kitchen table. And that is how we're going to start the role playing. Role playing is another really tough thing that people don't like to do. So you got to get them all pumped up to do it. Once the guys and gals, and your sales team get it and they get it down so cold, they can't get it wrong. They love to come in because then it becomes a competition mm. on who does it better rather than I hope he doesn't pick me. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, how do you foster a healthy competition between the salespeople? That is through culture. Yeah. Everybody's got to know what everybody's numbers are. And it, it has to be healthy. Once you find where somebody is complaining about somebody else's numbers because they think that Billy gets all the laydowns. You have to nip that in the bud. You got to bring that person in, you know, let them know that, look, when it comes right down to the leads, there are no easy leads unless the brother of the owner decides he wants a HVAC system. Those, all the leads are leads. 
Yeah. You mentioned laydown, sir. I just want to clarify. What was the, what was the laydown? Just a simple lead? Laydowns are just easy sales. Yeah. In sales, we like to call them laydowns or ducks or walking in and they, the person is laying on the ground with a wallet on their chest. <laughs> we make these funny accusations or funny acronyms, but it is just as a means of saying it's a very easy sale. I didn't, I walked in and I probably could have just wrote the contract five minutes after I got there. Yeah. So give me a, a myth when it comes to developing world-class sales teams. What sort of misconceptions do you commonly run across? A myth? Well, let's see. That would be tough. I, it's, for one, being very forceful and mean. Mm-hmm. People think that you need to crack the whip. Mm-hmm. You really don't. You mm-hmm. can build a very nice team through just being nice, but being very, you you have to hold them accountable. Once you don't, once you decide you're not going to hold somebody accountable for something, you have literally just damaged your reputation as a leader. Mm -hmm. So you really have to hold people accountable. This, this whole, well, you know, it's only because, well, now you're just giving them excuses. Another myth is that you can build a great team through keeping all of your people. You can train anybody. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge misconception. When I come into an organization myself, if I ever go back into another company and will go in and start training a, a team of my own, I'm looking for champions and I want to find out who's the champions and who needs to leave or, or just plain be successful someplace else. Because you can't just take somebody and say, I can train anybody because that's, that's a huge misconception. Mm-hmm. The other thing is building a team as the team has to consistently grow. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, take your, depending on how big your team is, take your bottom 10 to 20% and change them out. Mm-hmm. It's time for these guys to go or gals to go. And we need to bring in fresh, fresh people. And that will also keep a lot of energy flowing through your company. So, I mean, is that the case for all organizations, even B2B ones, that you just sort of talk to your, your bottom 10, 20% and say, look, this is probably not a good, good fit for you and bye-bye? Is that sort of true in B2B type sales too, all organizations? I will say that there are people that will disagree with me, but yes, mm-hmm. there's a reason why they're at the bottom. Either your team isn't big enough mm-hmm. or you need to trade some people out. They're, I've had somebody say, all my people are great. (laughs) I have a hard time believing that. There's always those people that, whether they're having issues at home, which are not your problem, they're just, for whatever reason, their head's not there. Maybe they did so well for years, but then the last two years, one, they're doing really well for so long and they had an off year, that's fine, but they had two off years, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Same thing with if they have an, an off month, that's fine. But a couple of different off months, say, say it's consecutive, two, three months, and they're, they're not doing well. Something is going on. Try to find out what it is before you go slashing your team. But if you do find out that their head just isn't in the game, they're, they're spent, they're worn out, it's time to trade them out. Let them go do something else. They're going to thank you. They may try and run you down in the parking lot today, but they'll thank you next week when they find somewhere and they're like, I am so glad that he did that. Mm -hmm. So if you have to keep refreshing, so I guess as an organization, you have to keep advertising for those roles, right? 
you do, you advertise, keep it out on Indeed. Indeed, you can actually put help wanted ads out on Indeed for free. So if you're not really looking, you just want to keep your feelers out there, you want to keep the, the hook out, you can keep it out there for, for no cost at all. But if you really want to find champions, you need to go get them. Champions aren't found on help wanted ads. There, every now and then you get a diamond and a rough that comes in. But champions are found in other companies. I'm not saying steal them. I'm saying get a relationship with them. And when those people, they get upset or something happens, changes happen in the organization, then they come to you. You know he's a champion. And at that point, if they come to you, you're not stealing that person. But you should always try and get a good relationship with reps from other companies. The other thing is, is if you're in a, like in-home sales, I mean, I love the cell phone stores. I don't know what it is, but they train them very, very well. Mm-hmm. If there is a company that understands millennials, it is cell phone stores. <laughs> so I do enjoy the cell phone stores. And I also enjoy some of the door-to-door. I mean, if they can get into the trenches and go knock doors, then they can definitely come in and do very, very well in one of my organizations. Awesome. So you've been a part of lots of organizations. You're a busy guy. You speak a lot. What are some of the top uh, habits or routines that sort of keep you on track? My wife is one. <laughs> <laughs> she, if I didn't have her, I mean, it would, uh, I probably wouldn't be speaking to you right now. But you know, she helps me stay on an even keel. I'm very ADD. So if you like, I write everything down, even when I'm going to sit down and have a meeting with you, I'm going to, you'll see that I continuously write. I don't want to forget anything. And I have a tendency of forgetting stuff, but it's staying on track, understanding where the goal is and how far I am from that goal. Inside of my truck, I have different notes of where I need to be. Same notes that I have on my computer. Of at the end of the day, did I put myself back in business? Every day I wake up, I'm broke. Mm-hmm. I say that to myself. And by the time I put my head back on the pillow, I have I put myself back in business today. Have I done what I needed to do so that I booked so many speeches or did I win over so many companies to, for coaching, whatever the case may be? Where are these companies at? To me, my success comes from the, the companies that I work with and their success. So that's, that's a huge thing for me as well. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have time for any hobbies? Travel, because that's what I do, it seems like, professionally. Oh, travel. Where do you like to travel? So most of, my, most of my speeches are inside the United States, but every now and then I'll get like a Cancun or Playa del Carmen or, or Cabo speech. And those are always nice. I'll try to bring the family with me. But outside of that, I don't have time for a lot of, uh, I've got four kids, so I don't have time. So my kids' hobbies are my hobbies. Ah, very nice. Now, is there anything I should have asked you, but didn't? I think you covered it all. I mean, it's, I think that, I hope that I gave you a lot of value, a lot. I hope that your listeners can take one or two things that I said and really change their business or the way that they sell. I'd love to talk to anybody that feels that they're on that cusp of being great and they want to know what it is. What's that one thing? Every, I tell everybody that you're one technique from absolute superstardom. And our job is just to find it. It doesn't mean that we're going to find it the first month, maybe the second month we find like, there it is right there. We need to change this one thing. There's so many people that want to know how I made 
facet or as big as it is. And you know, I says that when I came in, it was like the friends and family plan, <laughs> either your friends or your family with the owner. And that owner hated to go on vacation because mm-hmm. I always waited for him to go on vacation to fire all of his friends and family. <laughs> and once we got, once we got through that, I mean, that company just went through the roof and it really gave me a big name, which was great. But when it came right down to it, what really brought that company to where it is today is getting rid of the right people Mm -hmm. and hiring the right people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Chuck, thank you so much. Thank you. And if there's anything else I can do for you, please let me know. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.